Welcome to the Power of the Purse podcast, the only show connecting baby boomer women with professional peers. Advice you can use to be more confident in your financial future. Inspiration to take control of your personal finances. With Lynn S. Evans, Certified Financial Planner. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Lynn S. Evans, and I am the host of Power of the Purse podcast. There was a time in my life not too long ago when I believed three things about money. One, women are not supposed to talk about or be included in any conversations about money. Two, women don't have the natural ability to understand anything about money. And three, men know best how to manage money. And those truths I made up about money guided me for years, until I realized money was not a foreign language or some other obscure academic exercise. And it was something I could not only understand, but teach to other women. Too many times I've heard stories from women who ought to know better but didn't, until they were forced to, because of divorce, widowhood, job loss, or the approach of retirement. This podcast will add another chapter to an ongoing, informative conversation about financial topics women should be more knowledgeable about. My mission is to help women reduce their financial illiteracy and develop a healthy relationship with money. With that in mind, my guest today is Autumn Nessler. Autumn is a certified retirement options coach who specializes in assisting women as they are thinking about planning for the transition from their working life to a retirement lifestyle of their own design. Her company, An Intentional Life LLC, helps women design a non-financial retirement plan that defines that retirement lifestyle. Welcome, Autumn. Thank you, Lynn. And more importantly, I want to thank you, one, for the invitation to be part of this amazing podcast, and also to thank you for providing such great information to boomer women just like me. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. That's very nice. Nobody ever said that to me. That's pretty (laughs) neat. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That's very good. Okay. So let's talk about you now. I, I really would love to learn about some of this idea of developing and designing your own retirement. As you know, that's part of what I've been working on is the financial side of retirement. And as I say, there's more to this retirement thing than just the finances. And it it really drives me crazy when people talk about, you know, what's your number? And if you're ready for retirement financially, there's just so many more aspects to this that our parents probably didn't have to think about. Uh, It was pretty much, you know, in concrete as far as what retirement looked like for them. But for us, we're we're looking at another, easily another 25 or 30 years past that golden age of 60 or 65. And we got to figure out what to do with our lives, not just the money, but what are we going to do with ourselves? Absolutely. That's you. I mean, I think that's where you come, come into this because that is a whole discipline that nobody ever talks about. Everybody looks at how can I make money on this? And rather than that being the focus as a retirement planner, so to speak, I think the bigger part that's being missed by most people is really what you do. I really feel like there is 
so much of all of what you do that's just ignored. And the one thing I was really just flabbergasted by was the percentage of people in retirement that are depressed. Yes. Yeah. For, yeah. In fact, uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, 40% um, many times if they don't have a plan, typically within the first year, as I say, they hit the wall. And, uh, you know, it's interesting you mentioned earlier about our parents, you know, for the last 50 plus years, Lynn, retirement has always be, been seen as the ultimate destination, right? The ultimate vacation, no more yeah. hassles, no more, you know, worrying about, you know, no more meetings. But, but again, it's more, and thank goodness we're now getting more in this mindset, it's more of a journey because that journey, like you said, can last ultimately 20 to 30 years. And if you do the math, 30 years in retirement equals over 57,000 hours of unplanned time. So for us to not have a plan, and, and you're, you and I are of the same mindset, which is, you know, in my bookcase right now, I have a book that is, what is my number? Yes, exactly. You know, growing up, um, that's all you ever thought about is how much do I need? What, what, you know, what, what's it going to, you know, do I have enough? How long is it going to take me? And, you know, when, you know, a lot of people will say to me, so how did this even come about for you? Because it's, there's not a lot of discussion out there today about non-financial retirement planning, as as you know. Um, There's certainly a lot of people out there talking about the financial aspects of retirement planning, but non-financial retirement plan, I mean, people look at me like, what the heck is that? And why is it important to me? And, yeah. uh, you know, does it even make sense? And so I always tell them, you know, you mentioned about stories, you know, I always, I tell them about kind of how this all came about for me personally. So a bit of my background, you know, I, I worked 35 years, four very different careers, I decided then to live my own intentional life. I hated the word retirement, so I came up with a new phrase. And so, you know, so here I was, 35 years, four different careers. Now I'm going to retire, right? Except I was scared to death. You know, some of my fears, running out of money, being bored, having no purpose, all these things, as I tell people, very problematic because I intend to live to 100 Okay. So that's the goal, right? That's the ultimate goal. So not being a person to take things lying down, I researched and found this wonderful program called Retirement Options, which introduced me to the idea of non-financial aspects of retirement planning. So initially, I went through the program for my own journey, you know, planning my own retirement journey. Loved it so much, though, and its impact on my own planning that I became certified as a retirement options coach. I already had a master's in counseling, so I thought it would be a good addition to my background. And from there, I started an intentional life. And, and like you said, I, I specifically work with women. That's a whole nother story. But I specifically work with women as they're beginning to think about or plan for that transition from their working life to a retirement lifestyle of their own design. Yeah, let me ask you that, uh, because I'm, of course, I'm a proponent of let's talk to women only because women have different issues than men. Yes. And, you know, and you just you just recently sent out an email, which I loved when I was reading it. Uh, this one was about three reasons why women have a very, very different retirement than men. Yes, very and much they, so. 
and the thing that I loved was the third one was we may find finances intimidating. And why is that? Well, <laughs> that speaks that speaks right to what I, I really love to get into. Yes. And that's financial illiteracy. Yes. So, uh, first of all, thank you again for the reference to my podcast as one of the resources that you noted in that email. But besides that, I... I think that it's important to understand what are the other two that you talked about that are the the reasons why women's retirement is so different than a man's. Yeah, and so this and and Lynn is and thank you and and by the way, I'm just so thrilled that there are people out there like yourself doing so many great things in this area because you know, I was one of those people uh, that really, you know, found finances intimidating. And that's kind of a, a background story. And I know we'll talk more about kind of my early impressions of money. But, you know, I, when in doing my research, I found that, you know, there's two other reasons that are so important uh, why they're so different in terms of re- for men's retirement. One is we have to work longer to fund our retirement. So research shows that women are entering the workforce later, And we're also taking time out to raise children or take care of aging parents. In fact, statistically, they say on average throughout the course of our work life, we'll have taken time out of the workforce averaging 12 years, which is a lot of time out of the workforce. And so doing that, of course, not only loss of income, but we're not contributing then to our employer's uh, retirement plans. We're not contributing to Social Security. And so the other part of it is that we tend to seek out positions, both full-time and part-time, that offer flexibility because of these caregiving responsibilities that we take on. And we know that we found so many of those, right? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And of course, they're not offering a whole lot of plans, you know, savings plans as part of it, right? So, exactly. you know, it's it's very frustrating. And, And, you know, and to top everything off, we live longer. Uh, four to seven years longer. And then, of course, our costs for doing so are going to be higher, especially healthcare. You know, what, 70% of, of all nursing home residents right now are women. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the other thing that was surprised me a great deal is that there's an 80 to 90% chance that we will be solely responsible for our retirement finances due to divorce or widowhood. And the average age of widowhood in this country is 55 years of age, which was shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, that means for all those reasons, we have to spend time a lot longer in the workforce uh, to be able to you know, save up to feel financially secure in our retirement. And so, you know, the other part of it is that due to all that, of course, we have less in retirement savings. And, you know, even in 2019, not a surprise to you, we make 80% of what a man does for the same job. And that's pretty amazing because about 10 years ago, it was 78 cents on, yes. on a dollar. So we've really gone far. <laughs> Haven't we? Yes. I mean, yeah, really. I mean, you know, part yeah. of that, I mean, think about that for all of that, then the other part of it is that we tend to be risk averse when it comes to investing, mm-hmm. um, we tend to want to just cover our basic expenses. We tend to also be predisposed to take care of everybody else's needs rather than rather than our own saving for retirement, right? So, you know, for all these reasons, 
you know, from uh, why is a woman's retirement different than a man's, but, you know, it's also kind of a bigger picture than that. You know, I, I shared with you my own story about how I ended up in, in this work. And so I, I really felt strongly that based on what I found and this wonderful program, this retirement options, and how it really dramatically impacted me and my planning, I wanted to save other women from my own painful experience. And, you know, Lynn, as you know, as women, we tend um, not uh, to put aside much time for self-reflection, especially when it comes to things like long-term things like retirement. You know, you think about it up to, you know, all of our lives up to this point, we work 40 plus hours a week for our employer. And then we work another full-time job as wife, partner, mother, daughter, friend, community member, you know, et cetera. And it doesn't give us a whole lot of time for self-reflection. So, you know, it's really the first time in our lives retirement is that we can actually put me first. So for all those reasons, the differences between ours and men's retirement, based on my own personal experience, how I'm committed to helping women really put aside that time and be me first and put us out, you know, that time for self-reflection that kind of led me down the work, you know, path that I'm on now because I just felt compelled and passionate about, uh, about working specifically with women, which I got to tell you, I get a lot of pushback from men um, because they don't understand why I'm quote unquote discriminating. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But as I always tell them, you know, it's my business. I can work with who I want to. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's what I say, too. Absolutely. Said, there's plenty of, uh, actually, statistically, 20% of the people in financial services are women. The other 80%, obviously, are all men. And yeah. there's been an awareness of, hey, maybe we need to do something differently to talk to women. Because statistically, what happens is more than 70% of widows leave their husband's advisors in the first year after his passing. Yes. 70%. So all of a sudden they're saying, hey, wait a minute, something's wrong here. I said, yeah, maybe it's because, A, you're talking down to this woman or you're ignoring her completely. Or, B, uh, the husband just feels like uh, it's a protective thing and he's going to save her from having to know about this. Except that doesn't do anything for her in the long run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and honestly, you know, you're right because, and I kind of take that even a step further, which is to say, I believe as women, we need our, our own set of advisors who yeah. we trust, who get us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm okay with having even people that are separate from what my, you know, my husband and I do. Um, because I think that, I mean, I always go back to our joint one, but I think it's important that I feel as kind of on the same, you know, playing field as he does. And if it's not the person that we're currently working with, then I'm all for having my own. So Yeah. And, yeah. and I think one thing that's important in what you just said, Autumn, is the fact that many women think that there's some kind of, a, what I want to call it, a a, a disrespect, and that's not really the word I'm, I'm trying to find, but that if a woman decides that she wants to get a different financial planner than her husband is using, it looks like uh, that's not a good thing. Like you don't trust him and right. you don't trust his planner. 
And it can cause some problems unless you have a really open marriage where people can understand that it's not necessarily that you're not on the same page, but maybe, and this is where I find it, as you just said, my husband is a guy who is far more aggressive in his investing. Yes. I'm not. And so if I think that I want to go to somebody else who might want to set up a different type of investment program, that's not to say I'm disrespecting him. It's just that I want something different. And like you said, most of us are going to end up being the survivors. Right. And ultimately, it's going to be our money anyhow. So why not get a little learning experience in there while you can? It's not a bad thing. Well, you know, and that's part of, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that's so important about the work that I do, and and when I work with a woman, I, I really talk extensively about who will be impacted by your retirement. And we talk about all the relationships that she currently has, you know, spouse, partner, parents, children, et cetera, and are they prepared? And part of this, what you're just talking about, with the, even the financial aspects of it, that there needs to be advanced discussions, you know, in advance of, and unfortunately, not a lot of people put aside that time to do it. But, you know, some, sometimes those conversations need to happen well in advance of the actual retirement date, you know, because everything's got to be, everyone in that woman's circle has got to be prepared for what's coming. And so it, could, it can be the financial, you know, the financial piece of it, but it can also be as much what's going to happen to my time and my schedule and oh, by the way, you know, mom and dad, I'm not going to be a full time, be around full time, you know, to take care of you. I'm sorry to say that, but I need to bring an extra support. So lots of conversations that have to happen and retirement and finances is part of it as well. Yeah. I, I also like that comment you made about the five reasons you don't need to create a non-financial yes. retirement plan. And, and speaking of what you just said uh, was the 15 years from retirement, 10 years from retirement, five years, one year, and then once a year thereafter. Yes. Um, That's probably not something that people think about. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people come in to see me within two years of retirement and, hey, I got to make a decision because I have to opt out of this or opt into that. (laughs) And that's the first time ever that they've really had a conversation about it. I think that your setup where you're talking to people well in advance of the event is really such a great idea because then when you get there, you've got a plan. And I often say, you know, people design and plan their vacations more than they do. I know. Retirement. This is crazy. I know. And I always say that all the time to people is that we plan more for a two-week vacation than we do for 30 years of uh, the great unknown, right? And, and it's arguably the biggest life transition a woman will ever have to pe- you know, prepare for. Uh, in many cases, it'll, it'll last longer than the time she spent working. And yeah. you know, it's also the only time that she has in her entire life to spend entire, you know, the time entirely how she wants to spend it, you know, what's important to her. How does she want to be defined, to be remembered? What's going to motivate her to get out of bed each day when she doesn't need to report to a job? I mean, answering all those. And the other part of this is that when you answer all those questions and you realize the world of options and opportunities that exist in each one of those areas, it can be very overwhelming. And that's yes. typically when people will seek a retirement coach out. 
uh, because it's at that time when they say, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to begin to put any kind of structure around this vast expanse of time. And so, you know, it's funny because when most people think about this kind of planning, you know, what it's 60 plus, maybe stretching at 55, but I'm telling you, I, I start working with people in their 40s. Because now they're starting to think about, hey, this is a, you know, and I know people in their 40s who are, are quote unquote, practicing retirement. They take a week vacation every year and kind of play with what retirement would look like and see how it, it feels. So you can ever, you know, to me, you know, the rule of thumb, you're right, is 15 years out, 10 years out, five years out, a year out, and then every year thereafter. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about something else that can just throw a wrench in everything you're talking about. And that is this relatively new phenomenon of gray divorce. Yeah. yeah. Uh, people being married, let's define it, 25, 30 years, and all of a sudden, especially pre-retirement, people are looking across the table, breakfast table from that guy that they've been married to for 30-some years and saying, do I want to do this for the next 30? And the answer is no. Yes. Yes. Okay. So all the best laid plans of mice and men, so to speak. All right. So you, let's say you're working now with a couple and they're doing their 15 years out, 10 years out, five years out. And he or she says, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want this marriage to be mine in retirement. So when somebody says that to you, what do you do? Well, it, just to clarify, I work with the women only. Okay, mm -hmm. so I, when it comes to those kind of conversations, you know, it is part of the non-financial retirement plan. The plan has six different areas and family relationships is one of those areas. So in those situations, I am coaching her, having those discussions about you know, tell me about your relationship. What are you worried about is going to change? Have you thought about the impact that your retirement is going to have? What are some of the, I guess, bullet points that you want to review with your spouse or partner in advance and, and to really think this through? And, and one of the things that, and you're right, I mean, it's the largest number of people. They call it the gray divorce, as you mentioned. And the, re the reality is that will your marriage survive your retirement? And so my role in that situation is I'm coaching them through those discussions. And I also tell people that I'm a concierge, which means that I'm very, very focused and targeted in what I, what I do in terms of the non-financial retirement plan. But I have an amazing group of other specialists that I work with, you know, personal and career counselors and financial planners and state attorneys and even licensed clinical social workers to work with, you know, your parents. So in that situation, if I feel something like that is, you know, part of what this woman is dealing with, I'm going to you know, recommend a couple of things. One is that she seek out a counselor to work with she and her spouse. I also know some great people now, unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of people out there that are known to be divorced wealth strategists, right? I'm sure you've run into them. Yes. Um, and there are people that help with the actual divorce if it gets to that point. So my role is really to be kind of that um, I, a mirror, if you would say, to mm -hmm. kind of reflect back on what's going on in the relationship at this time, to help that woman prepare for those conversations that need to take place. 
you know, obviously we're going to be working together throughout those conversations to check in and see what needs to be done. If she does need a referral to someone to help them through this time to serve as the mediator with those conversations, I can help her with that as well. But it is, it is a real challenge. And as I tell people all the time, I'm, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a, an estate attorney. I'm very, very, you know, specialized in what I do, but I know great folks that can help them kind of see their way through it. And in some cases, you know, it, it might not lead in the direction that they were thinking it was going to. It might end in the, in the a marriage being dissolved. But, you know, there's a, that great book out there, I, I Married You for Life, Not for Lunch. Uh, you know, <laughs> and it is true because most of us don't have a clue what 24-7 is going to look like. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, so I try to be very mindful of that. But it is a great fear that a lot of people had. I had it as well. And so it takes a lot of work and a lot of discussion time. So, <laughs> Autumn, let me just ask you this as a not even a throwaway, I don't mean it like that, but just out of curiosity. I've worked with a lot of couples over the course of the years that I've been in business. And I can almost predict just by the interaction of them, which ones are going to survive to retirement and which ones are not. Yeah. I can't say that I've ever been surprised by any one of the women that I've worked with who've called and said, I filed for divorce. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I can't. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? Has that, have you ever noticed that there were some that came way out of the blue? Or do you kind of see it coming? Well, I guess it, it, it's that overall, I guess, I don't want to say demeanor. That's not the word that I want. But it's the, I guess you can tell by, you know, when I first start working with someone, I do a, you know, um, I call it my coaching overview, what type of, you know, and so I, I spend a lot of time initially with someone before I really get into coaching and giving the assessments, et cetera just getting to know them personally and, you know, finding out kind of where they are in their life, where they are in terms of this retirement journey. And I learn very early on, and obviously confidentiality is, is part of what I assure them of, but I learn early on what's going on in their primary relationships and other relationships that exist around them. Mm-hmm. And that impact on their day-to-day as well as, you know, how it's going to impact them long-term. So unfortunately, like you, I get to know them personally before I ever start coaching them, you know, in terms of assessments and whatnot. I I learn their story. And so I can almost see some of the things that are going on in the background. And, uh, you know, again, it might be me referring them to a counselor early on, but yeah, you're right. Sometimes I've not been surprised to date because I think people tell me early on all their fears and then they talk more importantly about all the relationships that exist day to day right now and how they kind of, you know, are partnered with those fears. Mm-hmm. I'd like to get into another aspect of this conversation, but before I leave, I don't, there's one thing I just want you to say just briefly, like bullet points, you mentioned before, there were six areas of things you need to consider when you're looking yes. at retirement. Quickly, what are they? So there's, they call them uh, life arenas. The components are career and work, health and wellness, 
family and relationships, finance and insurance, leisure and social, and the final one is personal development. And okay. under each of those, there's a lot of you know discussion. The assessment that I give actually breaks it down each one of those areas into like six different subcategories. So, but those are the six areas that we look at. And in fact, the vision board that we create kind of as a at the, the end of the process is also divided into those six life arenas. Okay. I like that. Yeah. All right. Let me move to another topic, a little segue here. I'm very curious to know from most of my guests on the podcast, what your relationship was with money as you were growing up and how that impacted who you are and your attitudes and myths towards money as an adult. So let me jump in here and ask the question, what's your first memory around money? Well, you know, it's funny. It actually was not my memory. It was my mother sharing the memory with me. Okay. okay. Yeah. So she tells the story. My mom, unfortunately, is no longer with us. But she told the story for many years that when I was three years old, I evidently I was very hard to buy for even at that age. Um, so she took me out to buy me a new pair of shoes. And because I was so difficult, she found a pair of shoes that I actually liked. And so, of course, she was went on to say, I'm going to buy these in like three different colors, right? Because I'm such a pain to buy for. And three years old, I turned around and I looked at her and I said, we can't do that. And she looked at me and I said, because dad will be mad if we spend the money. Oh. <laughs> now, my mom tells this story and my mom told this story for years. And she always used to say to me when she told that story, where did you ever come up with that impression, right? And so, and, and so it's funny because it's interesting because I've thought, you know, a lot about this, you know, growing up and I've always, and I'll be candid with you, I've all, I, for many, many years, I had what I called a poverty mindset. I was always afraid, you know, I was raised by depression era parents, as yep. we all were, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, we never discussed money ever, um, that just, I never knew how much my father made. My mom didn't work outside the house. And so, you know, I got a lot of messaging around money. Like my dad was in sales all of my life. And so really the tone of the dinner table conversation was how dad did that day in commission. It was one of those things that I always had that fear that somehow we weren't going to have the money. Mm -hmm. And somehow we always did. I mean, my, I, you know, all three of us went to college, you know, all, I mean, my parents did very well by us, I'll say, but my mom used to always say, where did you ever get that impression at three years old? And, but it, but that was, that was, you know, there was a lot of lessons also, you know, kind of uh, about money, you know, growing up, you know, I learned very early on to be, responsible for, I always wanted money in my own pocket. Mm -hmm. I started earning money when I was 11 because I always doing wanted what? to, you know, doing what I was, Oh God, babysitting. Oh yeah. Okay. Babysitting. I also work with younger kids and tutoring them. You know, this was, again, I'm 11, but I, but I was doing, you know, tutoring them and reading that kind of thing. But I always wanted to be independent. I always wanted to be able to take care of myself. I was raised by parents who said, you know, you should be always able to stand on your own two feet. So I learned early on to save, be independent, 
invest wisely. I never lived in debt. I always paid my credit cards off every month. Mm -hmm. um, I just always, those were some of the messages that I got, I guess, which, you know, it was good and bad. And, you know, because a poverty mindset is not a good thing to have. <laughs> so. No, it, it does not help. But no. I mean, I think you're right. Most of us grew up with that. Um, yes. And a, a question here for point of reference. You said the three of us. Did you have any male siblings? I did. So I'm the, I'm the last of three. I have a brother who's seven years older and a sister who's 10 years older, all from the same family. But I keep telling people that uh, I grew up with three sets of parents. And uh, so I think the great news about that was I was very, very independent at a very early age uh, because I was definitely self-directed. You know, my mom always yeah. said that I left the house at 18 to go to college and I never came home because oh. uh, I, always, I always was doing my own thing. And, you know, again, being raised by three sets of parents was, was difficult. So what do you mean by three sets of parents? Well, you know, when they got married, uh, again, being 10 and seven years older, yeah, uh, when they got married, um, they all thought and my sister, my brother, and their spouses all thought that they knew the best way that I should, you know, go through my teenage years. Oh, I see. And so they were always giving my, giving my mother advice, which uh -huh. I didn't go over so well. Oh, <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> and actually, I'm very close to my siblings, but I always tell them, you know, I think that the great news about having people, you know, that much older in the same family was, uh, you know, just I had to learn to stand on my own two feet very quickly. Um, so that was good news, I guess. Yeah, I think it was. What would you say has been the most threatening to your financial security? Uh, well, you know, I had four different careers. Um, yeah. So um, I was never afraid of, of changing uh, total, you know, changes in my careers. Um, and I think probably the most concerned, and I did some pretty crazy things, you know, making a change really with, you know, kind of leaving a job without having another job in place. But I, I think probably the, the, the most threatening was um, the different layoffs that I experienced, right? And, and, you know, all because of companies shutting down or relocating. And I think that was probably the time that I felt more, most threatened financially. Because, you know, I said earlier, I've always taken care of myself. I've, you know, really done my own thing. But that was the time that I was a bit nervous, especially when one of those happened when I was a single homeowner at the time. Mm. And uh, that, that was a little dicey for a bit, but, you know, got through it and, you know, moved on. But it, that was probably one of the times it was a little bit more frightening than others. Well, you had mentioned that uh, you also went through a big transition, that you were divorced. Yes. Did the financial aspects of your divorce affect your lifestyle in a, in any significant way? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, not really. I, I think that other things had more of an impact. You know, met, I mentioned about changing careers, mm -hmm. uh, making changes in terms of where I lived, doing those kind of things. The divorce, you know, it's it's terrible to say, but I lived. I don't want to say independently, but I always had my own income, my own accounts, et cetera, even when I was married before. Not so much now, but the, but the first marriage, I didn't have a lot of separateness, I guess. So when it came to the actual divorce and kind of splitting our joint assets, et cetera, it wasn't necessarily as challenging financially 
as maybe one would expect because I'd always lived kind of independently and had mm-hmm. my own income and my own income stream and, you know, did my own thing. So that wasn't as dramatic as some of the other things that I've been through. What would you say um, is the best and then the worst financial decision you ever made? Oh, well, it actually had to do around not accepting a job that was offered to me. I was in a, in a position and I had an opportunity to take on a position with greater responsibility. And this was probably one of the people that was one of the mentors in my life, uh, director of HR, who was amazing. And she offered me the opportunity to be groomed to be her second in command. At the same time that happened, I was also approached by the CEO of the company to take on a special role uh, that he wanted me to do. And so, you know, letting my ego get in the way, I took that position and, you know, fast forward three months later, lost the position because they decided they didn't need to do the special project anymore. So, oh. yeah. So probably one of the worst decisions I made was not to accept that first offer mm-hmm. and turn him down. And then I think probably the, the other one was I mentioned to you earlier was that I had a one time, again, had a job and I actually left a job while owning a house without a job in place to go to. So they were probably the two worst financial decisions that I made. Probably the best one was at a time when I was, um, one of my sales positions was making some great money. And we decided, my husband and I now decided to live on one income for a period of time and invest all of my income. Wow. And that was probably one of the best financial decisions I've ever made. And, and uh, we were benefiting from it in our retirement. So that's good news. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's good discipline. Yes. yes. <laughs> so one other question I want to ask here, who is the most influential woman in your life? And what advice did she give you? And would you give the same advice to someone younger today? Uh, well, I guess probably um, the first person, you know, I, I, I was very fortunate that I had a couple different women that influenced me. One was my mother, because she had an amazing philosophy. As I always said there was always a momism, right? There was always a quote that she really, you know, her philosophy about life and how you should live life still resonates with me. You know, my my one of my favorite sayings that she really drilled into me was, you know, as long as you can look at yourself in the mirror every night and put your head down on the pillow every night and know you've done your best. That's all that anyone can ever ask you. And the other one that she always said was they can take everything you own away from you, except what's in your head and what's in your heart. (laughs) So philosophically, she was probably the most influential woman and she got a lot of her sayings and beliefs from her mother. Mm-hmm. So I've been taught well by generations of women. And I think from a, from a business standpoint, I'm, I mentioned that woman who was grooming me yeah. uh, to, to be, she was an amazing business mentor. She took me on into a position. I had no HR background. She gave me my first position in HR. She believed in me. And during the time that I worked under her, the things that she taught me from a business standpoint just her problem solving and the things that she taught me 
really enhanced my business acumen and I think made me a better professional from the moment I took that position. So I think both she and my mom were very influential for different reasons. And when I think about younger women today, you know, I guess some of it is, you know, I mentioned it earlier, get your own set of advisors. I, I think that we really need as young, especially young women, that we feel like I was always taught to believe that you stand on your own two feet and you get as knowledgeable about everything you need to be. You don't rely on somebody else to give you that, you know, impart that knowledge on you. And so I think women, young women today really need to be empowered, especially from a financial and non-financial standpoint as well. But I think that's so important that they, they stand on their own two feet. Just given what you said about the, the two women that have had such a strong impact in your life, I'm guessing that it must have been very difficult for you to tell the woman in HR that you decided not to be her second in command and take that other position. Oh, devastating. <laughs> you know, yeah. Still at this, this time in my life, you know, that was, oh my gosh. Oh, what, like... 20 years ago, I, yeah. about 20. I still smart when I think about that. You know, yeah. when people ask me about, you know, the biggest, you know, baddest decision I ever made, I always bring that up to the, because that was very difficult. And she was very disappointed, but she I'm also sure. was very supportive. Good. Uh, and, and so kind of helped me think through why it might be a good option to do that. But ooh, worst decision I ever made. <laughs> so. well, yes and no, but you learned something too. So that's <laughs> I did. a learning experience is always a good thing as, as well. Absolutely. Well, thanks to my guest, Autumn Nessler. Uh, I just tell people how they can get a hold of you because I think your website is wonderful. There's Thank so you. many great things. I love taking the quiz. I always like to take quizzes. So that was a great opportunity to get to know what you do and and then how does it affect me what are the answers and it was really good so please let people know how they can find you well yes at the website uh, that you've just mentioned thank you for that feedback is www.designretirement.org so again it's designretirement.org and there like you mentioned there's a lot of quizzes free guides newsletters also i post articles that are relevant to planning on both Facebook and LinkedIn at Add an Intentional Life LLC is on Facebook. It's my Facebook page. And then I also then I offer every month, I offer free webinars. They're 30 minutes where I take people through what the heck non-financial retirement planning is and uh, so that they can learn a little bit more about it before they kind of, you know, embark on the next step to actually have a one-on-one session with me. That sounds great. I like that part. <laughs> try try it out. Isn't that what it is? Test it before you jump in. That's, try before you buy. That's, that's right. it. I love it. That's the one I was trying to think of, but thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so to all of you in my Power of the Purse community, I hope today's podcast was helpful in enriching your understanding of important financial matters and how some knowledge of money can go a long way to easing the burdens of life. Thanks again, Autumn Nestler, for sharing your time and knowledge. And until the next time, thanks for listening. And remember, money is not the enemy. Your ignorance of it is. Goodbye. 
This has been Power of the Purse with Lynn S. Evans, Certified Financial Planner. For more information and a free copy of The Seven Myths Our Mothers Taught Us About Money, visit online at womenofsubstancellc.com. That's womenofsubstancellc.com. Be sure to subscribe for more inspiring stories and information to help you take charge of your financial future. Thanks for listening.